So I'm not a perfect parent. You're not a perfect parent. None of us are perfect parents. But God has given us some principles in his word uh, that really help us in this big calling that many of us have to parent. Now, here's the thing this morning. We, uh, we're looking at specifically kids that go the wrong direction. Um, what do we do? How do we respond? And what we're going to look at is the very nature and character of God and how he responds to us in that instance. And here's the other thing, that, that these principles that we're going to look at today apply to so many other relationships. They apply to relationships when uh, friendships and siblings and spouses and stuff kind of go a different direction and, and, and decide, okay, I've, I've got things better figured out and, and I'm not going to follow kind of the guidelines and the the, the following of God's word and his truth. And, and so this really applies, I think, to many people in many of their relationships. Um, as this video uh, reminds me of Romans 3.10, because I know when we have these little babies in our arms, we don't have this idea and concept that, oh, someday you're going to be going through, uh, you know, I'm going to visit you in jail, my little sweet one, and someday... You know, you'll be, you'll be battling addiction and, and you'll be facing, you know, uh, following the wrong crowd and, and being influenced by the wrong. And someday we don't think that, right, when they're smaller and younger and little. And, and somehow, um, sometimes that's, that's kind of what can happen. Uh, but Romans 3.10, as it's up there and you're reading it, says, and, and is a reminder to us that no one is righteous, not even one. Not even my precious little babies that I'd do anything for. How'd you guys get so old? It just reminds me of how old I am. So uh, that's a foundational truth that we're reminded, that, that we are bent towards not following God, is what God's word tells us. That we have this thing within us, this sin nature, that, that draws us away from who God is and what he wants uh, to a different direction. And as parents, what, what do we do in that, that situation, in that circumstance? I was trying to think of, of a good scenario and setting of, of someone who had what seemed to be all the right circumstances in them growing up, and yet they still turned out to be, uh, for a big part of their life, going in the wrong direction, we might say. And that, that's a guy in the Old Testament named Samson. So Samson, if you know anything about this guy, if you've heard about him, you might go, oh, that's the guy who had the supernatural strength. He had long hair. When it was cut, he lost it. But if you see his whole story, it's really interesting because if you look at his, before he was even born, he's one of only three people in the Bible that, that God kind of gives an announcement towards of his birth and his calling and what he wants in his life. He has an incredible, like, uh, family, parent situation going on. <clears throat> he's, he's set up for success. And yet, he turns out to, uh, part of his calling was to take these Nazarite vows. He breaks all his vows. He kind of goes his own direction. He gets caught up in lust and all sorts of things. And, and you know, he's a story and a picture of even in a perfect, what we would think is a very healthy, wonderful setting and upbringing, um, that can happen. And, and uh, so part of what we want to look at this, this morning is understanding this process and understanding that as a parent, it's not necessarily something you should blame yourself for and, and, and have this weight of guilt and regret in your life uh, because of that. Um, 
We see, uh, and we're going to look at this example of God, of course, in his picture of, of how, he, um, how he understands. Number one, if you're filling out in your program, God understands parental pain. And I think it puts it well here in Isaiah as how he relates to his people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. He kind of uh, presents it in this parental type situation. And in Isaiah 1, it says, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth, that that is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. I mean, in the most perfect of settings and situations and scenarios, we have this inward sinful nature that rebels against God. I mean, you look at the first few pages of the Bible. We've got a picture of perfection. We've got Adam and Eve being created in a perfect setting, a perfect environment. They're given one, uh, one rule, one thing to follow, to not eat of this tree. And in that perfect setting, having this incredibly close relationship and connection with God, they still go a different direction. And then last week we looked at discipline, that there was a consequence for that, and that God in his love... Uh, um, carried out the discipline that was necessary for him to maintain being a just, good God. And so I hope that's helpful for many parents who just think, I'm a failure, and I've just done everything wrong, and my kids, you wouldn't imagine where they are or what they're doing or or whatever it is, spouse, other relationships, friendships, uh, those kind of things. But what I want to encourage you about here this morning is, is what we do. Because I think we have some beautiful examples and pictures of how we respond to prodigals. So we're going to look at this story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. It's probably his most famous parable, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And he tells it with the, it being the last uh, parable, and he tells three in a row. And the first two have to do with a lost coin the, 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 and uh, a lost sheep. And the picture and what what Jesus is really trying to share with us is the heart and nature of God himself towards us, towards people who who have gone a different direction, who are not following him, and his heart towards those people, and how he responds to them. And it's incredibly powerful. And as we look at this picture that gives us this real clear picture of what it looks like when a child is rebellious, that's that's what I think uh, would be the most helpful. So in Luke 15... Uh, chapter 15, verse 11, uh, he, he finishes his third parable by saying this, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had, had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And that's what prodigals do. They, they go away. They set off for a different direction. It, it may not be proximity, but often it is. You know, that, that child uh, who wants to just get out of the house as soon as possible. Why? Because they want to be out of the proximity that's, that they feel like is affecting them because they've got a different dream. They've got different desires. They want to make different decisions in their life. And so they set out for a, something different. 
you know, and, and if it's not proximity, maybe it's different belief or different way of, of approaching the world or life. But that's the nature of someone who's, who's kind of going in the wrong direction. They're, they're headed off for another, another way. Here's some three aspects of prodigals that I think as we identify these things, we can see where they're coming from. Uh, prodigals become, in your program, they're increasingly self-centered. The concept and the idea is forget you. I don't care what you think. Often if it's a child, you know, it's kind of funny because their, their perspective is, I've got all this wealth of knowledge and life experience. And even though you're much older and have gone through much more, what I have determined and, and come to the conclusion of is better. And, and so it's, all, it's focused on them having a better understanding, a better direction, making better decisions for themselves. Um, and they just want to do it their way. They're like, this is what I want in life. This is what I'm going to do. And so they're set off, and it's really focused on themselves. The second thing I think we see in prodigals is they think they know all the answers. I kind of already alluded that to that. But they've got it figured out. They've seen how uh, different, you know, different groups or different friends or different some kind of setting or, or structure of relationships, how they are doing life. And they, get, they seem to have it figured out better. They seem to have this life thing figured out better. Maybe they see that they are enjoying life better. Or they feel like they're more successful or something. But they see the answers somewhere else, and they, they think that they have grabbed onto those answers. Prodigals, the third one, demand immediate gratification. And we see this really clearly in the, in the, in the uh, story that Jesus tells, that they want gratification now. And often many of us are guilty of that. But we see uh, in the last verse I read there, he packed up his belongings, moved to a distant land. But before that even, he demanded that he, he have his inheritance now. Why did he want it now? Because that was not the common practice. The common practice was, of course, to wait till the father passed away. And then those, you know, the, the inheritance would be, would be split among, among the sons and the traditions that they had. But he did this thing that really caused a lot of dishonor to the family, to his father specifically, to demand and ask for his inheritance before he even died, which was kind of saying, you know, I don't even care about you living or dying. I just want something from you. It's a really sad story. And, and he wanted it now. Why? Because he wanted immediate satisfaction now. There wasn't a sense of any kind of patience in his, patience in his life. The story goes on to say, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the, uh, he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And I tried to think of a good illustration or a picture of someone in my lifetime, you know, in my life experience and uh, being a part of uh, church families, working with different families for many years. Uh, I, I was thinking of, well, who, what's a good picture of, of someone who fits that, that example? And, and the person I thought of, uh, it was interesting, like I began the message with, this person grew up in a loving home with parents who were pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to truth. Uh, the parents gave them a, a very strong sense that they loved them no matter what. 
Um, and that was the kind of setting that they that, that this this guy grew up in. Uh, it was a big family. I think they had seven in their family. And so sometimes money was tight in the family and stuff, but, but the parents always took care uh, of him and, and even helped him go on to, to go and, and uh, get a good college um, education. And, uh, but this, this kid, uh, this guy, he, he just thought there was a better direction, a better way to do things, um, things that he was missing out on. And so he just kind of grabbed everything he could that he thought he missed out in in what his parents were trying to direct him in. And so he saw, you know, the, the material possessions of the world and, and tried to go after those and the experiences of life and all these things. And knowing, like, a lot of detail about his life and his story, um, he was just looking for everything the world had to offer, and he figured there were better answers somewhere else. Um, and, and I remember... His story and, and some of what uh, what he experienced and what he did, he just he just said, "Hey, there's uh, especially at that point in his life, like, hey, a lot of people in my age and my setting, they're just partying on the weekends and they're doing all that that kind of lifestyle." So he just jumped in headfirst and uh, through trying to experience something better and greater than what he had kind of known and what his parents tried to point him to, he. Uh, he, he had a lot of dissatisfaction hearing his story. It never measured up, you know. The Bible says that sin is fun for a season. And I, was, I always think, man, the, I'm, I'm surprised I don't see that on a bumper sticker or something or people wearing shirts. Like, I'm living biblically. Fun, sin is fun for a season. And I love how honest the Bible is. You guys are like, is that really a verse in the Bible? Yes, the emphasis is for a season. Like, it wouldn't be tempting if there wasn't something that was alluring about it. But in the end, it, it ends to heartbreak and destruction and tearing down of relationships and, and, and what God has called uh, individuals to. And so, um, uh, this guy, uh, he, you know, he's out partying. Uh, the stories that he had about, uh, about coming home after the weekend of how he lived... And not knowing how he got home, but seeing that his car was there, and then coming to a realization that he must have drove himself home, and, and being so fortunate and lucky that he didn't do uh, some horrible thing in that condition of, of you know something that would injure him or others. Uh, one time, uh, something happened to him where he 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 was just such so caught up in that in that lifestyle, and and um, uh, he drank so much that he didn't have a hangover the next day. He had a hangover for the next week and just felt like he was going to die for about a week. So uh, my medical professional opinion was that was probably on the brink of alcohol poisoning. Um, and so uh, he just went such a different direction. Um, and if, if, uh, if you know that type of person or you've been kind of have a similar story, um, what, what we want to do is, see, is, is learn from that. If God has put those people in our lives, how does God want us to respond to that? How does he want us to help love those people and guide those people? And what does this, this, this story have to do that Jesus shares with us? So how do we reach those prodigals? Number one, unwavering prayer. Unwavering prayer. And that may sound like a cliche, come to church, hear an answer about prayer. 
But, but what I always find interesting about prayer when I walk with people and families going through difficult things is that we'll go, man, we've, we've tried talking to the person. We've tried uh, counseling. We've tried, you know, like, like I made up a fake email so I could email this loved one like all, and, and try to, like, share with them, like, preaching Bible verses and stuff like that. And we do all these things, and we're like, man, we don't know what else to do. So I guess we could pray. And it's like a last resort so often, even for people who, who call that, um, you know, something that's important to their lives. I know I've been guilty of that. But, but, but we see this uh, established in God's word that, that God hears our prayers. And it's not something like, um, sometimes we view prayer as like a, a lucky rabbit's foot. That like if we say a prayer, it's an incantation or a spell that forces God to do something. That is not how we should view prayer. Prayer is communication with God. It's coming close to the heart of God, being directed by him. And yes, understanding that he is all-powerful and can do anything and everything. Um, So Colossians 1, 9 through 10, I I love this picture. And I think this is a beautiful prayer for a prodigal, although it's for a young church family that's really actually doing well. But here's here's Paul uh, as he helps start this church. Here's his prayer for these believers. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you will, uh, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow up. You will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And isn't that our heart? If you're in that situation and you have that family member who's, or friend or whoever it is, that's your heart, right? That they would encounter God and they would know him and they would know his goodness and they would allow God to work through his life. Um, prayer, here's, I thought this was helpful. What can we pray specifically for these, these people in our lives? Pray that they will have the right friends. I think often if you hear the story of someone who's gone through that, and, and, and now they're maybe, they've discovered life in Christ and they're walking with Jesus. Um, if you hear their story, often what led them down a path of, of thinking, hey, I got different answers and I'm headed in this different direction, are the influences of other people and other friends. And the Bible has a lot to say. I put Psalms 119.71 in there. Um, there's a lot of passages that we see that, that, that we should be very careful who we allow to influence our lives. And, and, and whenever we talk about this, though, I always want to make the point that we should never isolate ourselves from people, that God has called us to connect to anybody and everybody. That's what Jesus did, right? He was accused of, of connecting and being friends with and having, having dinner with uh, people that, that pe- other people around him that, that thought they were honoring God said, hey, you shouldn't hang out with those people. You shouldn't be near those people. So it's not in that sense, but here's what was happening. Jesus was influencing them and loving them and not making them second-class citizens or something, but understanding that we're all in the same boat when it comes to how we are before God. And so not that we we teach our kids or, or tell relationships that we might have some influence in to stay away from all people who we deem as evil, but who are you allowing to influence your life? If God's put people in your life like that, have compassion for them to know God's goodness and truth and love and influence them. Don't be influenced by them. 
So pray that they will have the right influence. And I think back to this story of, of this guy I was telling you about earlier. That was a huge part of his life completely being turned around. When he encountered people who loved Jesus and seemed to just accept him and care about him no matter what, where he was in life. Um, number two, pray that they will get caught when they're guilty. Some of you are like, yeah, I like that one. I'm circling that one. <laughs> Not in that sense. But in the sense, as we talked about last week, that there is a purpose for discipline. That, that true biblical discipline uh, is correction based in love. The ultimate outcome is, is for, for the good of the person. Psalms 119.71 says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. And that we want them, in a sense, to not just never own, um, have that sting of the consequences of these things happening to their lives so that, I mean, we kind of know the concept of people hitting rock bottom, coming to a point of, of them seeing the devastation or whatever that, that, that is causing, uh, that they are causing in their life, in their life and the lives of others, and that God can use in a powerful way. Uh, and then the last thing, how to pray for him. Pray that God will do whatever it takes. Pray that God will do whatever it takes. That's another, I think, difficult prayer to pray. Whatever it takes. Now, if you know Jesus, you've walked with Jesus, I think you'll agree with what Paul says, that that's, there's nothing greater. There's absolutely nothing better that you've experienced or known in life uh, than knowing who Jesus is and, and being in a relationship with him. Um, Paul puts it very clearly in one of my favorite verses in Philippians 3.8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And what Paul specifically, if you back up, he's talking his whole life was about being super religious and, and, and being a Pharisee and, and, and really feeling like he was following God and knowing his truth. But he realized that none of that, he said all of that was garbage. All of his religiosity, all of his goodness that he thought he was being good, all his knowledge about spiritual things, he's like, all of it, the garbage is probably a, a very light translation um, of what he was really saying there. He was saying it was it was. It was poop, as Karis would tell us. In light of knowing Christ Jesus and what he gained by simply putting his trust and faith in Jesus alone and, and the free gift that he, that he uh, received through that. So as you pray that prayer, you're understanding and knowing, God, whatever it takes, whatever they may have to go through, whatever uh, circumstances are, are going to be surrounding this situation, you know that anything that they may have to give up, nothing is greater than knowing Christ and being in Christ. And so I think that's an easier to pray, prayer to pray when we realize that truth. Because um, here, uh, number two, as we move on, the unend have unending patience when it comes to approaching people like this in our lives. Unending patience. And this so reflects the heart of God and his character and his nature. The incredible patience that he has for us. Um, Galatians 6.9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. I'm so glad as I look at my own life 
that my parents didn't give up on me, that, that other friends in my life didn't give up on me. Uh, that kid, some of you guys may know this, that I was talking about, it's me. I, I'm that kid. And I'm glad people didn't look at my life and go, well, he's headed this direction in life. God can't use him. We'll just discard him. We'll be nice to him on holidays or something. But people had patience with me. And the people that really influenced my life were people who, who weren't trying to preach at me or show me a verse or whatever, but, but showed compassion and care and kindness to me. And I saw something in their life that, that I desired greatly. And for me, it, it, it was so helpful that I had this foundation and this background of who God was. And so it, it, I could put the pieces together a little bit more easily. But um, to have that unending patience for me, changed my life. My parents, I knew, uh, because they loved Jesus, follow him, I knew that there was nothing I could do ever in my life where they would look at me in the face and say, we're done with you. You're just not our son anymore. Um, and that's because I have parents who know Jesus. And they would never, and, and I had that kind of foundation uh, in my life that, that God could use. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Talk about the heart of God is, is really what we're reflecting when we're being patient. This is really reflecting early believers going, hey, Jesus promised to come back. When's he coming back? Let's get ready. Come on. And we should always be ready, always anticipate that, always desire that, always pray for that. But 2,000 years later, Jesus still hasn't come back. And this verse is the best explanation, saying we have a God who he doesn't think of time in the way we do. He's outside of time. He created time. And, and, and one year, five years to us is, is nothing to him. It's, it's like thousands of years to us is like a day for him. We see that throughout Scripture. But he has this incredible patience that, that he will not force people to love him and accept him. Because he is all-powerful. He could just make everybody do whatever he wanted. But love demands a choice. And so in God's divine, completely sovereign plan, he has made, set it up in a way that allows us to choose. I think it's interesting, even the story of the prodigal son. You don't see the father like going out, and he seemed like a man of influence and a man of power. And I think he could do something to kind of control and make his son do whatever he wanted. But you don't see that. And, and a God, I think, approaches us in a similar way, that he holds out an invitation to, to, to accept this, this beautiful picture that we'll continue to see as we finish uh, the parable here. Number three, show unconditional love. If you have someone in your life or in, in this kind of similar situation, and this could be someone, anyone who's just far from God and doesn't understand who he is and gets, gets Jesus confused with, wraps him up in religion and has a false idea and understanding of who God is and who, who Jesus really is and what he's done for us. These things can also apply, I think, to that. Isaiah 30, 18 says, So the Lord must wait for you to, to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. And just like my parents reflected in an imperfect way, God is perfectly loving. And his love that's described in his word is unconditional. Now, if you've never processed that, think about what that means. 
that his love, as so many people think and approach God as, if I do these things, and if I'm moral, and if I do religious stuff, and if I am born in the right family, or have the right heritage, or are successful in life, or whatever we think will, will gain God's love now or at the end of our life when we, maybe we think we might meet him, that is not the, the, the story of the Bible. That's not the picture of who God is. He has unconditional love that he expresses and, and extends to us. The story finishes in Luke 15, verse 17. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, and that's what we're praying for, right? And that's what we're hoping for those people in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you're that person <laughs> and someone drug you to church. Um, don't point. That's weird. Um, but that's what we want, right? For, for them to finally come to their senses. But you see that that, that that can't be forced upon them. That's not something. But we do these things. We pray for them. We extend and let them know that they're loved. We show compassion. Um, and so as he comes to his senses... Um, He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and earth, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he comes. He's come to the end of himself. He's hit rock bottom. He doesn't know where else to go, but he does have this foundation of knowing the type of person his father is. And so he goes and goes back to him and, and asks for some kind of mercy, some kind of grace in this situation. Um, it goes on to say, um, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. And of course, this is a picture like I mentioned in the beginning of the service that this is a picture of how God approaches us and how we are all the prodigal son, how we all have have this bent towards doing life our own way, not following what God desires. And this perfect holy God cannot have this perfect relationship with us because of our rebellion. But God stands as this waiting father that has complete compassion and love and is willing to extend grace and forgiveness to the point that he's willing not to just go, okay, well, I'll conditionally accept you. You can go be one of my servants and, and, and whatever. But no, you see the anticipation that, that the father has. You know, I don't know if he's standing on the edge of the town or his property, but he's anticipating that, that, that his son will return. And so he's looking it seems that's kind of the picture that we get, that he's anticipating and hopeful and looking for his son to return. And then his response to him is prodigal. Now, I think this is interesting. A lot of people have no idea what the word means. What does prodigal even mean? We, we think, well, many of us in our culture, it's tied to this story. And we think, well, that must be a rebellious son, right? Jackson, quit being so prodigal. 
<laughs> but no, that's not what it means at all. It, it, it means lavishly um, pouring out some kind of incredible, like, uh, a grace upon someone or gifts upon someone or, or showering someone. You're just, you're prodigaling this person with an incredible over-the-top amount of whatever it is, gifts or kindness or, or whatever. That's what it means to prodigal, okay? I want some prodigal presents for Christmas. Are we writing this down, kids? Okay, promise, no more videos of you guys, and, you know, maybe. That's what it means. And so we get this picture, the prodigal son, we have a God the Father who is lavishly, extending his grace and compassion and love and mercy. That's the picture that we get of this story. A son that comes to his senses and realizes, I, I don't deserve to be your son. I don't deserve to be in this relationship. I don't deserve to be in, in, in your family. And I understand that. And, and the father's response is no. Out of my grace and my goodness, I will bring you into the family. And I will not as a second-class citizen, but full-on sonship to be honored and celebrated that you've, that you've come to me with this kind of humility. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. I love this was going off of what Paul said about that the greatest thing that we can, we can have is, is knowing Christ. He, and he said it this way, Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, as we read, so that I could gain Christ. But how do we do this? And it shows this picture of the prodigal son, like how do we gain this and become one with him? I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Paul goes on to say. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And that's simply just trust, trusting in Jesus, trusting. And that's the picture, right? That the prodigal son doesn't do anything that makes him worthy to be restored, to have this relationship restored. But he just comes with kind of his hat in his hand, just in a humble stance saying, I'm coming home and I want to return. And that's God's picture to us, right? And and if you don't know that truth, um, That is what, first of all, I want you to understand in the story of the prodigal son, that that is how God views you and approaches you. That we're all rebels. We've all gone the wrong direction. I know we may have, for the most part of this sermon, thought about that person in our life or that family member who's got that rebellious kid, but the bigger story is that we've all gone the wrong direction and that this is how God approaches us. We can't earn his love. We don't deserve his love, but he's extended to us as a beautiful gift. I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and there's one last song that we want to sing, and it's about being worthy because that's what God has done for us. He has taken the worthiness of Jesus and said, I offer what he has done as credit for you, that we accept this free gift that, that what Jesus has accomplished, complete perfection and worthiness, That's what grace is, is saying that we can have that if we humbly accept it, knowing we don't deserve it, knowing none of our religious effort or morality or anything can earn it, 
but that we just accept this beautiful free gift. Now, if that's happened in your life and you know and understand that, that is how God wants us to approach the prodigal people 